Hello and welcome to the Canada's History Feature Spotlight. My name is Nell Ostrom and I'm the Associate Editor of Canada's History Magazine. Today I'm presenting an excerpt from a feature about shell shock that appears in the June-July issue of our publication. It's entitled The Great War of the Mind by Tim Cook. For the combat soldiers of World War I, it was not a matter of if they would break down, but when. The human mind could not withstand the ongoing strain of trench warfare. This mental collapse was known as shell shock. Soldiers had broken down in previous wars, but never on the scale of that scene in the world's first industrial war. There were tens of thousands of cases in the Allied armies. By the end of the war, doctors had declared shell shock the storm center of military medicine. Shell shock was not well understood. Beliefs about what triggered it and how it should be treated were highly contested. The condition seemed to present itself differently in each soldier. Symptoms included extreme shaking fits, weeping, shrieking, mutism, paralysis, insomnia, and the thousand-mile stare. At first, most doctors thought it was a physical ailment brought on by exploding shells. Enormous detonations of high explosives could kill a man by concussion alone, collapsing internal organs. The name shell shock referred to shock waves that were thought to damage the soldiers' brains, causing microscopic lesions. Shell shock could indeed be caused from exploding shells, but it was soon found that soldiers who had not been near the line were breaking down as well. Shell shock was really a form of battle exhaustion. Sharing the trenches of the Western Front with unburied corpses, flesh-fattened rats, and body-infesting lice added greatly to the stress. Sir John Fortescue, a British soldier and historian, testified before a commission that even the bravest man cannot endure to be under fire for more than a consecutive number of days. But not all shared this opinion. One Canadian medical officer, the celebrated man of letters Sir Andrew MacPhail, wrote that shell shock was a manifestation of childishness and femininity. It was derided as a way out of the front lines. While many military authorities were skeptical of shell shock, combat veterans tended to be more sympathetic. They saw it as the new way that war was being fought. The Great War was an industrial conflict of unprecedented scale. The introduction of the tank, airplane, submarine, and chemical weapons when combined with older technologies like mortars, barbed wire, rapid-firing rifles and machine guns, created a storm of steel and lethality never before seen. The enormous firepower forced the armies to dig into the ground. The war on the Western Front came to a stalemate. There was no way forward except in frontal assaults, and these almost always left the attacking forces in red ruin as the dug-in defenders cut them down over open ground. What had been envisioned as a gallant conflict was reduced to a miserable stalemate. This was hard for people on the home front to understand. In a letter to a friend in Montreal, Lieutenant Clifford Wells wrote, It must have been quite a shock to you when your streetcar killed the auto driver, 
It would have been to me a year ago, but now bloody death is a familiar sight. I'm a different man to the one who enlisted in Montreal 14 months ago. No one can go through the day's work here and remain unchanged. By war's end, Wells was among Canada's more than 60,000 dead. In this war of waiting, long periods of boredom would be broken by the terror of shellfire that could rip a soldier to pieces. The angst wore away at soldiers day after day. The soldiers received some temporary relief through cycles of rotation. This usually meant four to six days at the front, followed by an equal amount of time in a reserve trench and then a spell in the rear before the terrible cycle started all over again. Small measures mattered. There were letters from home and care packages containing sweets, cigarettes, and dry socks. Superstitions were common. Many used magic talismans and intimate rituals to ward off fear. Some sank into fatalism, simply writing off their own lives so that they could get on with soldiering. Above all, they inured themselves to the violence. Masculinity was prized. It took tough guys to win this war. But what would happen if they began to break down? What would happen when the heroes were reduced to quivering cowards? What would happen if the armies disintegrated under the strain? In their letters, diaries, and published memoirs, soldiers took note of the breakdown around them. Roy McPhee, a farmer who had enlisted in the first contingent Canadian Expeditionary Force, wrote, Fellows that feared nothing when they came out here are so nervous now that they can't stand anything. The sound of shells will almost set them crazy, and it is not because they are afraid. They can't help it. Harold Simpson of Prince Edward Island talked about the trying conditions that sickened his soul with the horror of it all. With nerves taut in the front lines, Simpson observed that it was in the aftermath of the rotation to the rear when many men broke down. When he gets out of it, he has time to think, to remember. Perhaps his best pal has gone under before his eyes, and again the whole grim tragedy of it seems to dance before his gaze. The memory follows him, haunts him. Even in his dreams, he sees again those cruel, gaping wounds, hears those heart-rending cries of pain, and his whole being revolts. It's unbearable. All soldiers drew on their courage account, as one medical doctor called it, and while it could be recharged through rotation and rest, the longer a soldier was at the front, the more opportunities there were for a breakdown. Even the Stoic soldiers were breaking down. Frank Ariam was an aggressive and skilled scout with the 8th Battalion. He had the dangerous job of crawling into no man's land almost every night when his battalion was in the front lines, spying on the enemy or sniping from areas of cover. After a year, he began to break down, physically with dysentery and body weakness, as well as mentally. Not even sleep provided solace for Ariam. Gunfire raging up and down the line set off 20 to 30 minute fits of shaking that would take place all night long. I have lain that way many a time cursing and setting my teeth to make it stop. I have known my heart to take a leap as though it would jump from my body, followed by three or four heavy thumping strokes, then stopping altogether for a period of several seconds at a time. Iriam was never invalided from the front and eventually got control of his nerves, as he called them, but many other soldiers were not so lucky. Gunner Ernest Black wrote that a bad case of shell shock was an unnerving thing to see. 
at the muddy and corpse-ridden 1917 Battle of Passchendaele, Black recounted seeing one young soldier. He was a mere boy, led by his comrades down the plank road through our gun position to the dressing station. He was scarcely able to walk. His head and arms were shaking as if from convulsions. It was a ghastly thing for other soldiers to witness, especially when they themselves were fighting hard against breaking down. My name is Nell Ostrom, and I'm the associate editor of Canada's History Magazine. You have just heard an excerpt from The Great War of the Mind by Tim Cook. To read the entire article, as well as other features on the topic of shell shock, read the June-July issue of Canada's History Magazine. Thank you for listening to the Canada's History Feature Spotlight. <laughs>